Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful, wonderful. This morning is uh, our final installment of Sex on Sundays, which is exciting because that means sex moves to the other six days of the week. Um, was a private joke. Sorry, I apologize. Thank you, Sonia, for laughing. That's why we keep the Stevens around. Laugh at my bad jokes. But it's really exciting. It's been, for me, it's been a, a, bi- a really, really good series, a big series where, and I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of it, why don't you go take a listen. For us, we, we, we were saying this whole series for us is that actually the world are talking about sex and sexuality. Why should the church stay silent on this issue? That actually we, we want to be a people who have the, the word of God as our authority in every issue of life, not just the, the, the Sunday issues, not just a, a pigeonhole, a, a few issues on the side, but actually we believe the word of God is our, is our man for life and godliness and, and leads us into freedom, future and fulfillment. And that's what we said, that actually if you've missed any of it, here's the praise of the whole series. Genesis 1 and 2 starts with God designing everything, yes, everything, even your sex, your sexuality and all, and the things that flow from your, the things that flow even into your bedroom and the things that consume your mind. Jesus, uh, God created everything and he called it good. That was the initial design. He called it good and he created it for our freedom. Our sexuality was designed for our freedom, for our future, and for our fulfillment ultimately in God himself. And actually we said that God gave us this wide open playing field, this, this spacious uh, environment to live in called the planet. He gave us the planet, but the narrative of scriptures that humanity was not easily satisfied or, or, or actually turned away from the big pleasures of God that he had designed it perfectly for us. And we shrunk it to something small and insignificant and something that to be ashamed of and something to be pushed to the corners of our lives and, and where abuse flows and where, uh, where anxiety and fear will f- f- fester in the dark. And actually, the Bible starts in a garden, a wide open space. But if you flick over 50 chapters, Genesis chapter 50, the last line in Genesis chapter 50, the last line in the book of Genesis ends with, and they buried him in a coffin. And as a famous preacher once said, he said, it starts in the garden, but it ends in a coffin. What the hell went wrong? And how the heaven do we put it right? And actually, I want to say today that actually, if you read a couple of lines before they buried Joseph in a coffin in Egypt, a foreign land, Joseph says to his brothers in Egypt, he says to them, when you one day leave this land, please, can you take my bones with you? And it's a fascinating line because actually if you start to trace Joseph's bones from that moment onwards, if you follow Joseph's bones from uh, Genesis 49 and 50 all the way through, we find Israelite people carrying Joseph's bones all through their 430 years of living in a foreign land as slaves in Egypt. They carry Joseph's bones. And then in this story that actually we find it only if you want to find where they put to rest Joseph's bones was in Joshua chapter 24 after six books of the Bible. We only find over, after 500 years from Joseph's death to his proper burial, the Israelite nation carried his bones with them. And I find that fascinating that this was a people who, who were for years, for five centuries, had to carry a reminder of their failure with them. For five centuries, they had to carry a reminder of where they had sold their brother out, where they had to, where they had given up their brother into slavery. They had to carry around with them 500 years. They had to carry themselves in slavery and in the wilderness that we actually failed on the design that God gave us. And I found it fascinating this week as I was reading this and, and thinking about this because I think that many of us have been carrying bones, reminders of our past for too long. 
We've been living under the condemnation of a failed relationship for too long. We've been living with the hostility towards an ex for too long. We've been living with the insecurity that's fueled by going back again and again to somebody who was not good to you. I think we've been carrying the bones, reminds of the past, of a habit that no matter how many times you pray about it, it still holds you hostage. Today, though, I believe it's time for us to, to stage a breakup, if that's okay. A breakup with our past. To put to rest the, the bones, because I think so many of us, we, as I said last week, we feel that God is leading us onwards, but we're dragging behind us a coffin. We're dragging behind us these bones that are reminding us. And no matter how many steps we take forward, we always want to have a glance and make sure is everything still behind us. I want to say today it's time to break up with our past, to bury those bones. But I want to suggest today we're not going to do it at a funeral. We're going to land the series at a wedding, if that's all right. So can you stand to your feet if that's all right? We're going to read Scripture. When we read Scripture here, we hold this high authority. So um, it's John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. So I'm going to read it out loud. But as you stand, posture your heart in faith this morning. It says this, On the third day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Just a quick hint. I don't think that line works well often if you're not Jesus, just to let you know. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Just one more, yeah. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, there was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray at this moment. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is higher than emotions. Your word is higher than feelings. Your word is higher than economies. Your word is higher than failed relationships. Your word is higher than sickness. Your word is higher than doubt. Your word is higher than brokenness. Your word is higher than our past. And I thank you, your word is here, opening hearts and opening futures. I thank you, would you do this in your name? Amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat this morning? Huge privilege to be together. At this moment, I'm going to ask my friend, Chris Lanus, could you fetch my uh, preaching aids this morning? We're going old school. We're bringing out the analogies. That's Wally Gertzmeyer would be really proud of us. But three points from this text this morning. I promised myself that I'll be brief. Thank you so much, Chris. The electric guitarist, doing a great job. Wonderful. Come on. Come on, Chris. Good job, man. Can we give Chris a hand there? What a man. What a man. Brilliant, Chris. Well done. You're the best uh, prop setter up I've ever seen, I'll tell you. But uh, this morning, first point this morning from this text uh, is this. It'll be on the screen behind me. An encouragement as we start to bury some bones is that when we are running low, Jesus is only just beginning. When we are running low, Jesus is only just beginning. You see, at weddings in, in the Jewish culture, 
running out of wine was more than just a mere embarrassment. Running out of wine at a wedding was not just something that's an inconvenience. You see, weddings weren't just like the normal, typical affair that we have in our modern day and age, where you have a 40-minute sermon, then you have cucumber sandwiches and croquet on the lawn, and then you have a few speeches, a bit of dancing, a bouquet toss, and everyone goes home chuffed. Weddings are great these days, but in the the Jewish culture, they would go on for days, two, three days, and the real good rages would go on for seven days. The longer you went on, the better prepared you looked, and as a husband, as a groom-to-be, the father-in-law would be even more chuffed with you because you've really prepared for not just a long wedding, but for a long marriage in the future. So weddings and the length of them were so significant to the people because they had an impact, they thought, on the length and longevity of their marriage. The problem that we find in this wedding here was the wine was starting to run out. And you see in the Jewish culture, when the wine was done, the wedding was done. It's time to go home. You see, so this is the problem though, that actually in our culture, not just in, in, this, in the way we approach weddings, but actually in every issue of our hearts, I want to say that our expectations are often like this. Maybe once you were sitting in a series or, or you've been thinking for the last while, you've been waiting and holding out for Mr. or Miss Wright. And you're wanting them to come your way. But now after a few years, cynicism is starting to grip your heart. And you, you, you're actually very quick to share those memes that are anti the opposite sex. Because you're like, you know what, they are just, they're just the worst. Maybe relationships are, often, relationships are often like this too. Where passions once burned bright. But as the year after year falls on and, and life just happens, they start to dim or maybe even diminish. This morning, I want to encourage you and speak such confidence into our heart that as I read this text, it puts such hope into my fragile heart. Because I say, maybe you hear today and you say, you feel like you're running empty. Maybe it's on, in, 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 in your singleness, in your, in your relationships. Maybe it's in your, in whatever area of life you feel like you're running low. Emotionally, you're at a low. Maybe you're here and you, you say, I've got nothing left. Nothing. I just feel gay today. I've actually walked in here and I feel like I've got nothing left inside of me. I've got nothing left in my life. I've got nothing left in my marriage. Nothing left to give my spouse or kids. Maybe you're running on empty in relationships, emotions, or romance capabilities. I want to tell you, when you're running on empty, as I look at this text, empty and nothing are perfect conditions for God to work. This is the nature of our God here, is that He does not need anything from your end to make a miracle happen. Here's an incredible thoughts for me. As I read this text, I love how Mary, his mom, comes up to him and says, Hey, Jesus, you know, as a mom does at a party, he'll say, Hey, come on, Jesus, do, you, know, you know, turn this, the, the wine's running out. It's time to, it's time to step up, boy. And, and, I, and I just can imagine Jesus going, Not now, mom. I'm having a great conversation with Peter, yeah? Not now, mom. It's not my time. But Mary, Mary is so confident in Jesus. She's so confident, not because he's her son, but because she has had revelation. She knows who he is. And she says, to, even though Jesus says, as my time has not yet come, she will not be dissuaded by that response. She turns to the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you. I love Mary. I love her absolute confidence in this moment because I see this incredible confidence and in that Jesus actually, he responds to her confidence and faith in him. And Jesus tells the servants as they look expectantly to Jesus, he says to them, all right, fill it to the brim. Jesus, who's at first is like, it's not my time yet. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Jesus is like, okay, fine, I'll step up. I'll step up, fill it to the brim. I'm not going to come and step and slip in and just do a half job. He says, fill it to the brim. I want to ask you this morning, what is your expectation of Jesus? You see, Mary had full confidence in Jesus, full confidence in him. 
Uh, and my encouragement this morning about myself is that I don't have confidence in my emotions. To be honest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a redhead. <laughs> emotions get the better of me a lot of times. But I don't have confidence in emotions. I don't have confidence in my capabilities. I don't have con- confidence in my consistency. I honestly have confidence in one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And why I want to preach this is because I want to encourage us. Can we be a people who invite Jesus into our lowest spaces? We, we are people who, who I think sometimes we say, Jesus, you can, you can come here, but actually this is my issue. Jesus, I've got freedom for you, but these bones, these are mine. I'll sort out this issue. I'll carry this shame. I'll carry this, this injustice. I'll carry this abuse. I'll carry this offense. I'll carry this disappointment. Because it's, just, it's, a, it's our low area to carry. Can I encourage you? Can we be a people who invite Jesus into our heartbreak space? Maybe you've been heartbroken. And I've just seen too many people's futures hijacked because of heartbreak. Because somebody else has let them down. They then they walk and they carry that with them for many years and carry that heartbreak into other relationships. And when other people come, they put that lens on other people. Because they have not allowed Jesus into that low space. Can I even suggest, could we invite Jesus into our bedrooms, married people? That, that was a quiet, now everyone went quiet there. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, that was a weird one. When Fiona and I got married and we said, actually, Jesus has everything of our lives. He has our finance. He has our, he has our future. He has our ability to have children in the future and trust to God with him. He has, he has our jobs. And then we had to say, what about our sex life? And it was awkward. I must be honest. Jesus? No, 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 no. That, don't, don't invite him into that space. But, but I, I actually, I honestly believe this. Genesis 1 and 2 says that Jesus created everything, even your bedroom, even your sex drive, even your sex life, and he wants it for your future, your freedom and fulfillment. But too many people are not saying, Jesus, that, not that area, not that low area, Jesus. Maybe I'm being too real. Apologize. Sorry. The reason why I preach this is because I sit with people and we hear testimonies of people who said, uh, not through the, out the series, but a while back, tell me, actually, I haven't slept with my spouse for seven years. Now, I tell you, something's wrong there. And actually, the reason why is not because there's, I just feel that Jesus wants to, actually, he wants to bring freedom in every area. Not you dragging by and saying, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold myself from my spouse. I'm gonna, we're not going to address issues because actually it's too hard. It's too low an area there. Allow Jesus into that space. Because I ask you, are you full of expectations? Or you're full of excuses. You see, the other day um, on Monday night, uh, we uh, Monday night I was uh, packing up in the garden at eight thirty and putting away Olivia's little uh, plastic toys and little plastic golf clubs. Yes, I've got her into golf, parenting win. And uh, and as I was putting those away, the neighbor is away at the moment, and suddenly I heard a noise next door that sounded like a human being in in, in a garden that is empty. And all of a sudden, everything inside of me went cold. We just have a little wall separating us. And I thought, there's somebody on the other side of that wall. You shouldn't be there. And I remember I picked up my golf club, not the plastic one, a real one. And I, and I, I think I moved very quickly into the house, locked the gate, turned on the alarm, which we have beams in the front of our house there, and ran up to the upstairs bedroom window and peered out and watched into the, tried to see if I could see any movement in the garden next door. And after about five minutes of just being quiet and watching, couldn't see anything, so I went to bed and said to Fee, Fee, I think, um, I think there's somebody next door. That I think there's an intruder. But I, I've looked and I, maybe, maybe I'm imagining it. Maybe it was the wind. Maybe it was just, maybe my thoughts went wild there. And uh, as we sat, as we went to bed and uh, 10 minutes later, boom, our alarm went off. 
in the front garden. The beams had been broken. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. You know, being justified, but I'm also terrified in the same breath. And I ran, picked up the golf club again, and we waited for the alarm, armed response. And they came over, and uh, they checked out the property. But obviously, the, the intruder had hightailed it over the wall again and into the, into the road because they went to search that guy's property. You know what? It was, it was, it was terrifying, but quite, I was so think, thankful that actually that there were some beams in the front of the house. I was so grateful for that. The problem was, as we started to think about it, all of a sudden when we felt exposed, we started to think about the low areas in our garden. And when I suddenly said to Fee, do we have beams at the back of our garden? And we went and we realized there are no beams at the back. That actually somebody, and we have a very low wall there, and it's actually easy for someone to hop over. But it's only when you've experienced that alarm and that, that, that frightening space, you start looking at the, your house differently. Where can somebody get in? I want to tell you that actually I, I believe the enemy always comes where we're not full. The enemy will always come when you're running low. When you're feeling low on emotions, the enemy will attack you there. The enemy won't come to you and attack you when you are thriving, when you're on top, top form, or where you feel strong. He'll take you down where you're low. And I want to encourage you today, where are you feeling low? Where are you low in emotions? Where are you low in the relationships? Invite Jesus in there. Invite Jesus into that space and watch what he does. Because when we are running low, Jesus is only just beginning. Second point this morning. Jesus takes what seems ordinary and makes it extraordinary. You see there, six stone water jars. Six stone water jars, the scripture tells us. No, and I imagine for us, these are possibly like these uh, buckets that you all found in your showers for the last uh, two years during the drought that we used to flush our toilets and water our gardens with. And uh, you know, this is uh, it's the, why this, I had to bring this picture here because actually there was nothing, there were not these r- remarkable jars that were used for David Blaine tricks. No, no, no. These were normal jars that you found in a Jewish home. Why? Because they were used to cleanse themselves before a meal. If you read scripture as well, you find that, that the, the Jewish uh, way of hospitality and hosting people was always to make sure that the person had enough water to cleanse their body, cleanse their hands, actually even cleanse their utensils, cooking utensils, make sure everything was clean so they could come and enjoy the meal or the feast or the wedding. So these six water jars were in place to clean people, clean their outsides before they come into the gathering, into the wedding. I love that, that Jesus takes which was used to just be a routine cleanser before a meal, and then he turns that into the main event. You see, I want to tell you that I think most of our lives are actually ordinary days. If we're honest, most of our lives are pretty ordinary. Maybe some of you by your Instagram feeds, we think they, you, you think you're conning us, that they're these incredible moments. But the truth is our lives are ordinary. Like yesterday I did a wedding and I was on a high out in Wellington and it was incredible and the scenery was beautiful and people, Colin and Chantal from our congregation, they, they tied the knot and, and it was just a powerful, beautiful moment. I drove home and I got home and then I realized that Olivia just was having a bath with, with, with granny and mom looking after her. And then, that, would, that thing led to her having to be put to bed and have a bedtime story. And that led to me then having to go and tidy up all her toys off the floor, which I do every single day. The normal routine is very ordinary. And then I had to go out and pick up something that I'd forgotten to pick up. So I had to get in the car and just drive somewhere. It was a very ordinary day. Even in the high moments, we just our days are mostly full of ordinary situations. But I think this is why we have to start to understand that Jesus does not despise our ordinary Jesus doesn't turn away from our ordinary and say, hey, I'm waiting for a special moment to do something in your life. No, no, Jesus wants to invade our ordinary. You see, the question I want to ask is, when did the water turn into the wine? 
I, I don't, I was just been thinking about it. Was it, you know, I just, maybe I need some help here. Mish, can you come help me very quickly? Can you pour for us a little bit here? Because I want to ask, well, he, said, he said to the guys, just as you open that before you pour, he said to them, when, when did he said, guys, go fill it to the brim. So they went to they stay, they poured some in. Yeah, why don't you do it up there so we can see. So he, they, they started to pour it in. And then I go, did it turn into the wine then? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Then did, did the water turn into the wine when they had um, finished doing it? And they looked again. Wow. Wine. Just, just add four parts water. No, no, I don't know. Did, it hap- did the water turn to wine when they're carrying it back to Jesus? Did the water turn to wine when they're pouring it out for the, the master of the ceremonies? Keep filling, Mish. Keep filling. I, I, I just want to, I, I don't know. But the scripture doesn't tell us when. But there is a line that says this. It says, so when he says, fill it to the brim, it says, so the servants followed his instructions. And I love that because when I, when, I, when I read that, I realized that actually God responds and works with our obedience, not our intentions. I think that's really good. Sorry, let me say it again. God works with our obedience, not our intentions. You see, we all want the product. We all want the wine. We all want God to bring the miraculous. We all want God to do something in our lives. Boom. We want God to bring breakthrough, but none of us want the process. You know, I was just thinking about it, and uh, and uh, Mish, you're not done yet. Eh? You're not done yet. You got to got to carry this thing for me. But but I can imagine them carrying it and walking to Jesus, walking it across to Jesus, and with with every step as they trying not to spill it and trying not to keep all the water. He said, "Fill it to the brim." And as they're walking across, I in my imagination, I'm going. I can see them going. Look, no, walking dramatically, lugging. I can imagine their faces starting to light up as they as they start to go. Am, am I am I going mad? Is this water going? Is this water going? Is this water going red? What's going on here? Or whatever wine you think they were drinking, white or wine, it's your preference. Now follow me. Put it back down here, Miss. You're doing so well. But but you know what? I, I, what the thing that I, I love about this story, you did well, Miss. Well done. But is this thing where they carry the water across? They they're just bringing ordinary water to Jesus, just in simple obedience. And as I read that, I want, I felt God say to me, Gable, you keep fetching water. When it doesn't seem extraordinary. Will you keep being obedient to the simple things that don't seem extraordinary, that don't seem fancy, that don't seem flashy in your relationships? Will you just keep bringing water, even if the water doesn't seem like it's changing yet, even though the situation is not changing? Will you keep fetching the water? What, what I'm meaning about this, when you're single and you wish God would turn those blue ticks into reply, please, Lord. When you're married and you wish the spark and the joy would return, when you're desperate for a breakthrough in your relationship, when you're lonely and in desperate need for His grace, will you keep serving God faithfully? Will you keep looking to Him? Will you keep pouring in His Word? Pouring in His Word. Will you keep fetching jars of water and keep pouring into the brim? When you're feeling low, actually, I'm just going to keep pouring in. Are you going to keep pouring in your worship? Are you going to keep pouring into people and keep pouring in generosity? It might look like nothing's happened. I've been tithing faithfully, but breakthrough's not come. Will you keep fetching water? I've been, I've been serving and I've been laying my life down for people, and yet there seems I'm still lonely, God. Will you keep pouring water? Why I say this is that actually I think as humanity, our hearts are always looking for a cheap shortcut. We'll look for a cheap shortcut to get something cheap and quick. But I want to say this, that lust is a bucket that has holes in it. 
Lust is a bucket that has holes in it. What I mean by that, it will demand much, but it will return very little. Lust is something that says, cheap fix, cheap fix. It's a cheap version of wine. You can take it now. There'll be cheap pleasure now. But as you pour into it, you'll realize that lust will never satisfy. It'll always leave you low. It'll always leave you empty. It'll always demand much more than you're pouring in and will give you back very little satisfaction. I want to say with confidence today, in this ordinary moment here today, I have such courage in my heart to say, can we be a people who in this ordinary moment slay the the monster of lust? I think too many of us have been dragging the bones of lust around behind us, and we've just been using excuses to, to justify it, and to say, and we're using our loneliness to justify it, we're using our lack of love and response from our spouse to justify it, we're using uh, social media accounts, and actually that person keeps sending me messages, I'm not the one to justify it. Can we slay that monster of lust? Because in your eyes right now, you might see it as just ordinary. I want to tell you that the converse is true, that actually the enemy takes our ordinary. He'll make it extraordinarily painful. Jesus takes what seems ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Will you as a people, in the, you and your marriage, will you get up early and start to fill, your, fill the, the water again? Will you be a people, a, a husband who gets up early and starts to seek Jesus for your marriage? It might seem ordinary. It might seem, actually, what is the fruit of me doing this? Actually, I'm going to take, I'm going to take responsibility. Are, are you somebody who is single and saying, actually, I've been giving myself to lust. I wish I could break the thing off. Are you going to be somebody who actually is going to start pouring into the Word of God instead of pouring into social media and pouring into wrong relationships? Will you be faithful in the ordinary? Because when you're faithful in the ordinary, watch what Jesus will do. I don't know when it will come, but the Scripture tells me, so they obeyed. And Jesus works with obedience, not intentions. Because I know I've sat many times myself and people have preached and I've said, I want that, but I do nothing with it. Intentions are not good enough. Obedience brings a breakthrough. Jesus takes what seems ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Finally, this, this morning, might seem like afternoon for some of you. It's been a long preach. Is that when we think our best is past and done, Jesus says the best is yet to come. It just it jumps out of this, this story here because you see the MC, the master of ceremonies, he was so shocked. He was so shocked when he tasted the wine because why he was shocked is he's a man who's done many of these parties. I can imagine he's a professional MC. Doesn't probably even know the family. You know, just been recruited in there to do an MC job. He knows all the tricks of this trade. And he says, where did you guys get this wine? This is vintage wine. This is, wait, I don't even know we had this in stock. This is the wine. This is one of those wines that, that, that the, you don't even find in Woolworths and Checkers, you know? You have to go into the vineyards to find this bottle. He's like, why are you bringing this out now? This is incredible. And then when he took it to the, the bridegroom, the bridegroom said, this is amazing. You guys are phenomenal. Because he says, most weddings, they bring out the best wine first while everyone's sober. And when everyone gets a little bit more tipsy, they just start watering down the wine or they start just bringing out tussies and pouring it into fancy bottles, you know? Because no one will know the difference. But this, this Jesus, he comes and he keeps the best for last. You know, what I, what I love about this, and with faith I want to declare it, that actually I said at a wedding yesterday, many people prepare their lives and they prepare everything for their wedding day. And they go, that was the best day of my life. Can I tell you, my prayer for every marriage is that their wedding day would not be their best day. It will be the launching pad to greater and greater and greater days. That actually the, the punchline that actually marriage is going to get worse and harder and all oh, the old ball and chain, eh? <laughs> no, 
making the jokes at your wife or husband's expense. I pray that actually the, the Spirit of God would say, the best is yet to come for your marriage. The best is yet to come for your relationship. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, that hasn't been my experience, Gabe. You've only been married for five years. You, you don't know the stress and the pressure. Can I tell you? Maybe my experience hasn't led me that far yet, but I want to tell you the Word of God is higher than my experience. And every time I read it, it says this, that when Jesus is in the equation, there's always the possibility of a miracle. There's always a possibility of a miracle. You know, your marriage might seem dead and gone. You might be sitting here today, and your addiction maybe seem to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger, or your pain is getting harder to deal with with every passing moment. I want to tell you today that with Jesus, it's never too late for him to bring something amazing out of something that seems dead. The party was about to die, but Jesus turns the war into wine and it revs it up into a whole new level of joy and celebration and exuberance. You know what? As I read this, I felt God challenge me strongly saying, Gabe, stop, stop watering your faith down because of the season you're in. Uh, you know, the temptation at those weddings was, hey, they're all getting a little bit drunk. It's all getting a bit out of hand. Let's just, let's just water the wine down. They won't even know. But I want to tell you, sometimes the temptation is to go when situations are impossible and actually you want to approach it with, with actually, you know what, let's just, yeah, Jesus is cool, but actually we need practical help here. Yes, practical help is great, but the good news is that practical help does not revive the dead. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. And I want to say today, if you maybe don't get cynical with Jesus. Don't start saying, yeah, I've been around church for long enough. Or that's good enough for them. But my marriage is really bad. Or my situation is really hard. Or my addictions are just too deep. I want to tell you, Jesus says, when, the, when you feel dead and gone, he says, I am ready to bring the best. I bring to the bring the best. I prophesied over every life here, the best is yet to come. It's more than a tag or a catchphrase. It's the heart of Jesus for our lives. I tell you, don't settle for a watered-down existence. What I love about this, we've got a, a family in our church, and, our, and, and this, this, this powerful story of they'd been married for a whole number of years, and uh, they lived for many years, for 20 years, under the, the, the thought process, or the wife did, that actually they were each other's firsts. That when they got married, they were virgins, because that was a story that was told at the, the wedding day, and the relationship up to the wedding day. And then... The problem was that this was not the real story and that there actually had been somebody else before the marriage. And the husband, for years, and the marriage, the marriage was fine, it was good, and God, was, God was using it, but there was just a little piece of his past, a little bit of the bones that he was dragging around that's saying, actually, no, I want, to, I want a good marriage, but I'm going to just keep holding on to these bones. You're settling for a watered-down marriage, a watered-down existence, not allowing Jesus into the low space, not allowing Jesus into that broken space, actually saying, you know, God, you provide, but actually I, this is my secret I want to take to the grave. But the incredible thing was this, this man, he went to a, a men's camp and God spoke and said, actually, don't settle for second best. The best is yet to come. You think your marriage is okay? I've got so much more for your marriage. Will you trust me? Oh, but Jesus, to bring those bones out is going to be really hard. Jesus, to bring, to bring that, 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 that old coffin out and to try and walk that journey with my spouse, it might bring up pain. And Jesus says, yes, but will you trust me? Will you trust me? It might. But actually, do you trust me to bring a bigger future than you could ever manufacture on your own? And this amazing man, he sat down with his wife and they, he opened up and with much heartache and pain, shared the story. And, uh, and I know that it was sore. 
It was not an easy story to navigate. It wasn't something that they're able to get over quick and easy. But I've watched their marriage and I've watched their children. I've watched what God has started to do in their family. And I honestly believe that in that family, that that man's action of faith and his wife's action of ability to forgive and allow that low area to be raised up to what Jesus got has opened inheritance up for their family. I believe it. That's going to bring victory for their family. It's going to bring inheritance for their family because it might seem like now, oh, I did that. Nothing really changed. Grace may be floating, but he took a step in the ordinary and watched God do something extraordinary. This is, what it, this is how tangible it is. I think so long we've been dragging bones around with us and living watered down existence and, and just sipping at the Kool-Aid of Jesus Christ when he says, actually, I'm not, a, I'm not somebody who's, who's, who's here on a, on a soft level. I want to actually fill you to the brim with the goodness that I've got for you. You see, as I land today, I want to tell you, this is what Jesus has done for us. This story lands powerfully. It says, he turns the water into wine. It says, and by this, Jesus first revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. I've always read that and gone, by this he first revealed his glory. Cool. Water into wine is a cool trick. Let's be honest. Who, who wouldn't like that? You know? I'll take water into Coke sometimes. So I'm like, I'll take that. Save me a lot of money. But, you know, it's a cool trick. But I'm going, but God's glory, surely Jesus, marketing guy, do that walking on water thing first. For me, that's just like, whoa, that's cool. Or, or do the raising of the dead or healing of a blind person. Or, you know, that stuff for me would have been like, Wow. If I, am I right? Am I the only guy who thinks like that? Water into wine, he first revealed his glory. But until you start to understand that what actually Jesus was doing, Jesus was showing them something bigger. The first three lines of that scripture, John's the writer of the gospel, John, his name is John, by the way. Um, he, he is pointing not just to events in Jesus' life. He's actually pointing to the greatest events in Jesus' life because it says on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. It's not by chance that John wrote on the third day. All commentators believe that John was saying that Jesus, when he said, it's not yet my time. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to, to actually even do the miracles. Jesus came to die and raise again on the third day. So when we read this story, it's much more than just Jesus doing something in the ordinary levels of our lives. Actually, Jesus is doing something so much deep and more profound. He actually was coming. He was saying, I'm not coming just to give you another way to wash the outside of your body. I'm not coming to give you another moralistic way to get a little bit better in your life. He says, actually, I'm taking something that was meant to go uh, wash the outside, and I'm going to make it something that goes on the inside that affects the outside. You see, the ceremonial water jars were just used to wash the outside. But Jesus said, I'm going to turn that thing, that, that moralistic version of Christianity, of religion that you've been living, that keeps you war- working and, try- and trying to win your favor with God, trying to walk in your future, but you just can't because I can't ever get clean enough. He says, I'm going to turn that thing that was meant for the outside to become something that goes on the inside and that affects the outside. You see, this is profound because the the difference between Jesus and every other religion, the difference between Jesus and every other religion, and I include in that not just only the world religions, but even the, the, the religion that masquerades as Christianity, that puts rules and regulations to obey above Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus and every other religion is different in one big area. Every other religion comes and says, make your way to God. In a sense, every religion hands humanity a water bucket, a bucket full of water, and says, wash yourself, and at the end of time, if you're clean enough, we'll let you in. Every religion says that in some shape and form, except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who says, I will come to you. I will come to you. 
This is the power of it, is actually the fact that Jesus, when he came, Jesus on the cross said, I will become empty. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. He became the lowest of the low. On the cross, it tells us that Jesus became ordinary. The, Isaiah 53 says there was no, nothing about his appearance to attract us to him. He was not this flashy guy. He was ordinary. And people said, is this Jesus? Is he, is he the carpenter's son just from Nazareth? Just this ordinary guy. And they despised him because of that. And actually, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And I can imagine the enemy in that moment going, yes, they've crucified their only hope for salvation. In the lowest areas, they've got nothing now. In the empty areas, they've got nothing. When they feel broken and ordinary, they've got nothing. And Jesus said, it is finished. But they misinterpreted interpreted what he was saying. Because Jesus in that moment, when he became empty, ordinary, and said, it is finished, he wasn't declaring an end to salvation. He was declaring an end to the coffins and an end to the bones being dragged around. Genesis starts in the garden, and ends in a coffin. And as the coffin was about to be hammered onto Jesus Christ for the last time, the third day came. And Jesus, who once was empty, who once was ordinary, and once was dead, broke through that coffin and in that moment declared, a new day, new wine, new victories, new future for every single person who would lay hold of him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ this moment. And I want to land this series by saying to you, will we be people who open up our emptiness, open up our ordinary, open up our broken things in our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because when we do this, I promise you, we will start to see the glory of God in our singleness. We'll start to see the glory of God in our dating We'll start to see the glory of God in our marriage, in our parenting, in every relationship in between. When we allow Jesus to take our empty and to start to fill us up. When we allow Jesus to take our ordinary and start to make it extraordinary. When we allow Jesus to take our dead and buried and say, you're just beginning, Jesus. You will see the glory of God in your relationships like never before. Can we stand, please?